It is a great joy for Holly and me to be with you today. Uh, we had a really good time with uh, some couples yesterday and Friday evening, and just was it was great sharing sharing what God can do in our marriages. Um, so that that was a blessed time, and of course, this is a, a a wonderful opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Brian, and thank you for this privilege uh, to bring the Word of God to you. As Pastor Brian was praying. Um, I noticed he was talking about the broad church across the, the world, and uh, it made me think of our church. It's going to be meeting in about 20 minutes or so and uh, in Detroit, Michigan, or Lincoln Park, Michigan, and uh, my, I was texting with my pastor this morning talking about what I was going to be speaking on, and uh, he texted back and said, that's I love that passage, uh, and uh, I put a little smiley face, but I don't say a whole bunch. But I, uh, but he just to let you know that one illustration of what's happening across this world is happening in Lincoln Park, Michigan, in a few minutes, and we're going to be worshiping. They are going to be worshiping, and it's it's isn't it exciting to know that what we're doing right now is happening all over the world. And as Pastor Brian prayed, some secretively, some out in the open, some with masses, some with a few in a, in a home, but it's happening. And praying and, and rejoicing and worshiping God, um, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. So thank you for this opportunity to join you in, in that process. Holly and I um, will be, as, as Pastor Brian said, we'll be speaking in the next uh, time. It'll be a little bit more geared towards mine, towards husbands, and I assume hers towards wives, towards, I don't know what hers will be. Uh, it'll be good, whatever it is. Uh, I, I promise you that. Uh, but we're look, looking forward to that, too. The title that you saw was Journey of Grace. An alternative title might be It's All About His Amazing Grace. And thank you so much for the singing about His Grace today. What a, what a way to set the table um, for this message because it really is. And sometimes I think we talk about it, we sing about it, we love it. And sometimes it can be something where it's a little, not trite, but we, we kind of say, yeah, grace is, is really important. And I want to press on you today that it's more than just important. It is the thing. Uh, it is what God has given to us um, in so many different ways to, to help us through this. When I was growing up, I, I, I think I really got a good, good teaching about grace saving me. Um, that was clear. It was taught to me. It was, I understood what that part of it. What wasn't as clear to me, and maybe it was because of me, and I didn't hear it, and maybe it was because it wasn't taught that well to me, was that not only is that grace there to save me, but that grace is there to sanctify me. Um, And what many of you would say, duh, uh, I, I get that. What was a few years ago, was almost like a light going off in my mind. I trust that that was happening in my life, but it became very much more clear to me that just as it takes God to save me, it clearly takes God to sanctify me. 
And it isn't going to happen. It is not going to happen without his work and without him taking up the, the work that needs to be done to empower me. And I want you to leave this morning with the idea that the in awe of God's grace and how it does both save us and sanctify us. So Ephesians chapter 2, and thank you, Debbie, for, for reading and for praying. I really appreciate that. Um, verses 11 and 12 is our, our two verses of focus today. And I want to read again those two verses. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And it goes on, but I want to stop right there. And as we know, as I just said, those, there's two things indicated in that passage. God's grace saves us, and God, God's grace sanctifies us. It does both of those. Um, what is grace, anyway? And we have all sorts of definitions. I'm going to give you a sort of a commentary definition. So you've got to hold on a little bit for this one. And uh, then a little less, less so. At the beginning of it, it's what you might expect. The, the second part is a little deeper, um, but it's really good too. Uh, so this lexicon says, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. That's what you would normally expect, right? Goodwill, loving kindness, favor. And then it says, of the merciful, anytime a definition starts with of, you know it's going to take a while to get there. All right, so this one starts with up. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, saves them, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues, sanctifies them. So that's what God's grace does. I also read this summation of God's grace. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Um, and those of us who are believers, that is, that's security, right? That doesn't give us license or whatever, and I won't even get into that, but it is true. The statement is true as it's, as it's stated. So Jonathan Edwards said this. This is a, another long one, so hold on for just a minute. They dishonor God and the gospel who depend on anything but mere grace. The gospel is by far the most glorious manifestation of God's glory that ever was made to man. And the glory of the gospel is free grace and mere mercy. Now those that will not depend on this free grace, those that are not totally dependent on this grace, they do what they can to deprive the gospel of this glory and sully the glory of God. They take away the praise, the glory, and honor that is due to God by his free grace and mercy to men and set up themselves instead of God as objects of it. So as, you're, as we're thinking about grace and that long definition, then Jonathan Edwards finishes with this. Consider that great part of your happiness in heaven so now we're transported into heaven. To all eternity will consist in the praising of God for his free 
and glorious grace in redeeming you. And if you would spend more time about it on earth, you would find this world be much more of a heaven to you than it is. Therefore, do nothing while you're alive, but speak and think and live the praises of God's glorious grace. Say, wow. And that's now, okay, that, that sounds great. It sounds exciting. It sounds, but how do I do that? And even, even the hymns that we sang today, by the way, thank you for that. For the, I already said thank you, but thank you for the older songs too. Um, those of us who are older um, appreciate that. And, and really hearing those. But I was thinking of, of different, some of, we, some of which we sang today, but wonderful grace of Jesus, amazing grace. Come thou found of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Great greater than our sin. He giveth more grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. And then this one, grace tis the charming sound. This is an old one. Uh, again, it's one I remember growing up singing and it is, is really good. I want to read a few verses of this one to you. Grace tis a charming sound, harmonious to mine ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. Grace first contrived the way to save rebellious man, and all the steps that grace display which drew the wondrous plan. Grace first inscribed my name in God's eternal book. Tis grace that gave me to the Lamb, who all my sorrows took. Grace led my roving feet to tread the heavenly road, and new supplies each hour I meet while pressing on to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made mine eyes o'erflow. T'was grace which kept me to this day and will not let me go. Oh, let that grace inspire my soul with strength divine. May all my powers to thee aspire and all my days be thine. And then the chorus, saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for sinful men and Jesus died for me. Amen. And God, who, who gets this grace? I'm just thinking, you, you see throughout the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, who got this grace? Specifically, the Bible says Noah found grace. Noah was a drunk. I mean, Noah found grace. Now I realize that that's not all that Noah did. Um, but he did. He got drunk one time. And he found grace. Moses, who had a anger management problem um, and had some difficulties with, you know, he killing someone uh, and, and got him into a 40-year trouble and, and kind of sent him. But the Bible specifically says Moses found grace. Gideon, you know, in that weak and fearful place, it's such a, to me it's, it's such a comedy. When the angel comes to, to Gideon, on the threshing floor where he's hiding, and, and basically says, you, you, you mighty val, uh, valiant warrior, and, and Gideon's hiding there. It's like, okay, what's, what's going on here? And even in that fearful state, Gideon is called, found, found grace before the Lord. Peter, the mouthy fisherman, uh, Peter has all sorts of opportunities for us to join in his sanctification process, right? Uh, Mary Magdalene, out of whom were, was cast seven devils, 
found grace in God's sight. And Paul, the self-righteous murderer, found grace. So if any, all of those can find grace, then certainly God can show his grace to anybody here. There's nobody too good and nobody too bad for God's grace. We all need it. And you say, well, I'm, you know, again, I don't know who's all here. And you think, well, I'm doing okay. Well, the Bible says if you've offended in one point, you're guilty of all. So it doesn't really matter whether you have committed all or you're guilty of all. You are guilty of all. And you need God's grace. So the text teaches us that God's grace saves us. And so I would, my first plea to you would be if you do not, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not trusting in Jesus today for your salvation from your sins, I would ask you to to believe in him as your sole source of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is it. And he has grace for you. And our prayer, those of us who are believers here, would pray for you who are not yet to believe in him, that God would open your eyes to see and be able to understand what God has done for you and believe in your heart that he is your savior from your sins. What an incredible opportunity that we have. And if you do not know him, if you have never believed in him, I would just implore you, as, as God leads you to himself, believe and be saved. But we also know that his grace teaches us from the uh, second verse, verse 12. It doesn't eradicate ungodliness, at least not in this life, but it does cause us to deny those things. It's an active process, and I love this verse in 1 Corinthians, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. And notice this wording, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So it's it is a, it's that great paradox. The sanctification process is that, that joining. We know that we cannot do anything for Christ without Christ. The Holy Spirit has to energize us, has to give us the power to be able to do this. And then Paul says, and this is what I do. But not really me. This is grace, and we can kind of keep going back and forth and be really confused. And God doesn't expect us to understand it, but he expects us to believe it. That it is our responsibility, but it is our responsibility that is energized by the Holy Spirit and the grace given to us. So what is this grace? Oh, and one other quick thing. There was a, a commentator said this, Titus 2, 11 through 14 unfolds the grace of God as the motivating power of Christian living. And I hope that you'll walk out today with those two words, the motivating power. That, if if you think about it, it captures two really important pieces. Motivating gives us sort of that idea of desire, of wanting to do it. 
Power is the ability to do it. So what his grace does for us gives us both the desire, that motivation to follow him and do his will, and the power, the energy to be able to do that too. That is given to us. So what does this grace do? It says, the, the verse 12 says, it, to deny ungodliness. What is ungodliness? There's a lot of ways that you could, you could flesh this out, but let me just do it this, real simply this way. Ungodliness is anything that takes the place of God. It could be good, could be good things. Let me give you a personal illustration. My, a battle that I have is I love sports. And it used to be that I loved to play sports, not so much anymore. Um, you know, old age does that to you. Uh, but I still like to watch sports. I still enjoy that. And they can become God. The, watching sports can become a God competitor. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. There's nothing wrong with, with doing enjoyable, enjoyable things. Nothing wrong with any of that until they become God competitors. And am I making that call for you? Nope. You're making that call for you. Now, does the body of Christ come alongside sometime and, and provide observations and we humbly listen when those observations are given to us? Yeah, that's the body of Christ at work. That's wonderful. And humility of giving that kind of advice and humility of accepting that kind of advice is, is, is a great thing. That's what, that's what the body of Christ is about. Because isolated, we have a tendency to become really selfish, really in our own world, really all of ourselves, and God has called the body of Christ to come alongside of us and to help us with those things. And when those things come, and I, I realize I'm meddling here a bit, but when those kinds of things come, let's be bold and humble at the same time to come alongside someone and to help them. And again, one other quick thing, uh, let's be careful about coming alongside somebody when we see and we have no relationship with them whatsoever other than this is wrong. You need to change. Um, that's probably not the best way uh, to do it. But, but grace, God's grace through the Holy Spirit, through his people, teaches us to deny these activities that are going to be God competitors. And they're all over the place. You have them. I have them. We want God to show us those things. What are the God competitors in my life that are keeping me from really focusing on you like I should and keeping me to be heavenly minded? I think young people, this is such a, in, I think of if, when I was teen, a teenager and trying to get my, my arms around that, this kind of thing would have been extremely difficult for me. And yet it, it needs to start. It needs to begin that process of really understanding. I want my focus on him. That's where I, I want it to be. And the other part that we're supposed to deny is worldly lusts. Um, ungodliness, worldly lusts. Worldly lusts are those things that are clearly wrong. They're clearly violations of what God wants us to do. They're clearly sin. And those are, are pretty much no-pleaners. 
So if we, if we stray into that, that's, that's a God competitor, but it's also a God competitor that doesn't need to be, well, is this good or bad? It's bad. It's a, it's a lust. It's, it's a wrong desire that we need to remove so that it ceases from the sin standpoint, but also ceases from being a God competitor. And we don't want it to be that way, right? We want it to be... Um, a, we want to have a, a focus where when we deny these things, we are focusing on what God wants us to do and what he desires for us. That's, that's where we want to be. We all know that that's the, the, the important thing. I'm not sure that we all really believe that that's a fulfilling way to live. And let me say, all right, someone who's lived for a, a while, it is. It really, really is. And the more we recognize that, the more we understand, the more we make choices like that, the more we, we really do understand that. And it, it's, it's a process. The whole sanctification is a process. And, it's, and it, 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 we work through it. And God is still showing Holly and me things that we can work on individually in our relationship and it's going to happen until we're done. And that's a, that's a great thing. So we deny those things. And then we do these things. It teaches us to do these things. The grace of God, God's spirit, teaches us to do these things. One, to be self-controlled. And what Debbie read at the beginning about uh, the young men, the young women, older men, older women. Three out of four of those groups, self-controlled. And young men... Interestingly, the only thing that Paul says about you is to be self-controlled. I wonder why, all right? Probably because that's a big battle that young men have. And we all have it, but for some reason, there is a specific focus there. And all of us need to say, okay, we are to live self controlled lives. And there's all sorts of things in the, in the self-controlled where there's anger, there's lust, there's, there's, there's many, many things that we can put into that. But let me say to you is, and uh, we talked about this in the marriage time yesterday, if you want to really know if you are living a self-controlled life, the best way to, to find out is ask those who know you best. And be willing to hear the answer. That's what, that's what we're, the body of, of Christ is about. Being, being willing to hear and say, am I living a, a life of, that's self-controlled? Are you, do you see an area in my life where I'm not really self-controlled? And, and it's not giving you that perception of the grace of God in my life? And be willing to, to ask those questions. So number one, to do this, to live uh, in self-controlled life, and two, righteous. Now, righteous, again, can, can, there's a number of different ways that you can go with that, but I think specifically here, this has to do with horizontal relationships. In other words, how is it going with you and others, specifically, not just believers, but primarily, I think in this context, with believers, other believers? How is your relationship with them? And if your church is like my church, 
There are, in this room right now, right now, there are those of you who are law keepers, and on the other hand, there are others who are law stretchers. Um, and I'm, I'm not, well, in, in my legalistic self, which that's what I am, I'm a legalist, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm at confessions of a legalist right now. Uh, that's my bent, is to be a legalist. All right, that's wrong. It's wrong for me to be that way. Um, but some of you are like, this is, you know, if this is what the rule says, this is what we're supposed to do, let's do it this way. And we need to do it. And everybody else needs to do it too. And, and I guess what I would, what I would encourage you in, is to say, there might be a different perspective that you're not seeing. And those of you who said, there's lots of freedom here. I got the freedom to be able to do this. You need to think on the other side, there are those whose consciences are bound and they cannot do what you think they ought to be able to do. And what it re- requires us to do is to live righteously with each other, to love each other. Let me give you an example. Years ago, sorry, a lot of years ago, uh, this, happens, this happens in other situations with Holly and me, um, but this one's pretty poignant, so I, I thought you might enjoy it. Um, we're going through the airport uh, when Macy was a baby, when our daughter was a baby, uh, pushing the stroller through, you know, uh, through the airport, and, you know, those big, long escalators, uh, and on the plaque there at the escalator, it says, do not put strollers on the escalator. And so being the law keeper that I am, it's like, and Holly's heading right towards the escalator. And I'm saying, don't you see this sign? It's clear. And Holly said, that's for people who don't know how to put, escala- how to put strollers on escalators. That's what, that's what it's for. Not for everybody. It's only for those who don't know how to do this. And it's like, okay. Uh, but but so, so it's not, and, and I'm not using that as um, this is the model, all right? What I'm saying is that what seems absolutely clear to you from your perspective may not be clear to your brother or sister in Christ. And that's okay. What isn't okay is for us to impose what we think and how we see life, especially, primarily in cultural issues, on others. And what's really interesting and what we have found, what Holly and I have found is You know, when you talk to people and you hear their heart, you suddenly get a window into their soul and you understand why they think what they think and why they respond the way they respond. But it does take time. It does take hearing. And to make a judgment about someone we barely even know or whatever about any issue you can think of is a dangerous thing to do. 
And clearly, it's not unifying. And clearly, it's not righteous. And that's what we have to be. We have to be righteous. And I think that is such a unifying theme and can be such a unifying theme. So not only self-controlled, which is sort of the focus on our own individual activities, righteous, which is sort of our interactions among each other, but the third one is godly and our relationship with God. So it's all covered here. Every relationship, our own personal self and what's going on with us, our relationship with each other, and then the, the third one is our relationship with him. And our, as we, honestly, as we get that right, the godly one, the other things have a tendency just to fall into place. And again, I, I know that I'm, I'm speaking like, this is what you need to do, and I also realize there's no way we can do this without God. There's no way that we can handle any of these things without God empowering us, motivating us to do that. So how do you get this grace that teaches us to be self-controlled and that governs our relationship with each other and gives a deeper and deeper understanding of him? Let me give you a couple things that are just some thoughts about it from the scripture that maybe you can think about in, in really understanding God's grace. Number one, I would say just come to him to just come into his presence and talk with him. Hebrews, you know the passage well, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but who is tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. And then this blessed truth, let's come to him with confidence. Why? Because he is at the throne of grace, and he is going to provide us with the grace that we need in time of need. That's what he does. He provides us with the grace that we need in our time of need. And I think that humility of just saying, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need your grace. And it could be in all sorts of situations. You may be battling with a, a, a sin that you cannot get victory over and you just, you're trying so hard. And, and I'm not going to give you a platitude here, say, just pray hard. But I am going to say, come to him. And in humility, keep coming to him. Because he's been there. And he understands. And he will give us the grace that we need in our time of need. And I say, the second thing I would say is, and I, I, I want to be careful about this. I'm going to say strive. But I, again, I realize this is a God's work. Strive for a humble spirit. James 4 talks about God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if we want his grace, he gives it to those who are humble. And he gives us the ability to be humble. That's the exciting thing about what God does. So, number one, come to him. Number two, strive for a humble spirit. That's James chapter four. And then number three, use the body of Christ, in this case, Heather Hills Baptist Church, to come alongside each other and 
encourage each other in the grace of God. I think, and fortunately, again, I don't know you, I just know my experience in my churches. I believe this is an area of so much opportunity going forward of the body of Christ coming alongside of each other and encouraging them. Think about Paul and Barnabas and then, and then Paul and Silas. Three different times in Acts 13, 14, and 15, it basically says the, the people of God ministered, encouraged them to continue in the grace of God. And that's, you know, they were, they were being sent out. I, I understand that. But that kind of thing, if it's good for the leaders and those, quote-unquote, missionaries going out, it is certainly good for you and me. And it's good for us to come alongside and minister grace to each other and to encourage each other and to, and to help each other. And I think we have the blessed opportunity to give that kind of encouragement to each other. And it does take a humility. There's no question about that. There, there, there has to be, a, a, a number one, a, a, a vision of, Lord, how can I help other people at Heather Hills Baptist Church? And number two, Lord, give me the willingness to do it and to be used in other people's lives to encourage them and help them, not to condemn them, but to encourage them and help them and minister grace because that's what God does. He uses us to minister grace to each other. Edward said this, again, he said this, and I I read it before, but I want you to think about it as we're getting ready to be done. Consider that great part of your happiness in heaven to all eternity will consist in the praising of God for his free and glorious grace in redeeming you. And if you would spend more time about it on earth, you would find this world to be much more of a heaven to you than it is. Therefore, do nothing while you're alive, but speak and think and live the praises of God's glorious grace. And isn't it amazing that it's abundant supply? God doesn't have any, oh, I can only give so much out, you know. Ephesians chapter 1, the first few verses, verse 7 and 8 says, he lavished his grace on us. That's not, you know, I'm going to give you a little, all right? He wants to give you all that you need. He will give you all in abundant supply. And I love that word, just lavished it on me. He wants to lavish me with that to be able to do that. And he will do that. And he does do that as we're in his walking with him. The Lord allows both good and bad circumstances. And some of you are going through some very tough times right now. I don't don't know. But I know you are. Because you're people. Some of you are at the height right now, man, things are going really, really well. You're about to get married or something like that. You know, it's says really, really exciting things coming, coming on. Most of you are probably somewhere in the middle. 
But God's grace is there for you. And God's grace is personified by Jesus Christ. And he is looking on us and loves us more than we can ever, ever imagine. And if you're going through some very difficult time, may I encourage you that Jesus knows and he is there with you. If things are going great, I would say, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get so much better than that. And this is, if the, you know, you say, this is great. It's not even close to what we're going to get in heaven when we are with him. Peter's last words, grow in grace. Paul's last words in 2 Timothy, grace be with you. John's last word in Revelation, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It was on their minds, the writers of the, of the epistles, the letters, it was on their minds. Grace, 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 may it be on ours too. May we love his grace and may we desire his grace and may it be, those two words, our motivating power to live for him. And it's all about his glory. When we live a grace-filled life because of him, he gets the glory. And that's what it's about. May that characterize us as believers today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this these verses, Lord, that tell us so clearly that any, anything that's done in our lives is really just a manifestation of your grace. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. And as we mentioned in the message, if there's, if there's one here who doesn't really know you, doesn't has never begun the relationship with you, is not a believer, Lord, would you bring them to yourself? And for those of us who are believers, Lord, would you give us a renewed view of your grace, its power, the opportunity that we have to live in your grace because of you. And may it be our motivating power as we walk with you. Lord, would you bring a supernatural unity, an ongoing supernatural unity to Heather Hills Baptist Church. That is a clear indication of the Spirit's work. And we thank you for what you do, and we thank you that it is your gift. And now, Lord, may, us, may we be filled with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.